Welcome to Confessions of a Higher Ed Social Media Manager, where we delve into the world of higher ed social media through the eyes of people behind the screens. Join us as we explore the ups and downs and everything in between when managing online presence for colleges and universities. From navigating the latest social media trends to dealing with crisis management, we'll hear firsthand accounts of what it's really like to be a higher ed social media manager. We'll sit down with masterminds behind some of the most innovative and engaging social media campaigns in the field and hear their behind the screen stories, best practices, and insider tips. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, sit back, grab your headphones, and get ready for some candid confessions and valuable insights into the world of higher ed social media. Confessions of a Higher Ed Social Media Manager is part of the Enrollify podcast network. You can subscribe to this podcast at enrollify.org or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to Confessions of a Higher Ed Social Media Manager. I'm your host, Callie, and I'm so glad that you're tuning in today. Today, I'm chatting with Sarah Wells, who is the Social Media Communications Officer at a Canadian higher ed institution, and she has worked in higher ed for the last 10 years. Welcome, Sarah. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Callie. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Let's kick this off um, with an easy question. So how did you get into social media? Well, I studied at Brock University. I studied popular culture, uh, which is kind of a weird degree, Um, but I met my mentor there who was teaching computer-mediated communication. Uh, that's what it was called at the time. Today, I'm pretty sure I call it social media. So it is, I largely credit getting into social media because of him and the courses I took with him. And that led me into some different educational opportunities. And then I hit right when social media was becoming a bigger thing. And those were the jobs I landed out of school. (laughs) That's so cool. So let's just kick it off with a deep question. (laughs) What do you think is the most under-discussed part of working in social media? Most under-discussed? That it is at times the best job and at times the worst job. Working in social media, like especially in higher ed, when you're helping students or being part of their experience, that's incredibly rewarding and it's the absolute best experience and you get to be part of such magical moments. But when something goes wrong or there's an issue, uh, that's also the place where they come and they download every emotion. And you are the person who has to receive that. While they're yelling at the brand, you're still the person receiving all of that. So you can go from having the best job at your institution to having probably the worst job at your institution. And I think that's probably one thing that people don't realize. They're just like, oh, you're playing on social media. That's so fun. Not when something goes wrong. When something goes wrong, it's brutal. And it's a real toll on your mental health. Absolutely. I think that that's 100% like something I would list as well. I think especially, I know that we often refer back to COVID times and like when we were in the thick of it. and that was one of those times where we were on the front lines. We were that key communications piece for our students. And so we had to deal with a lot during that and how we, we managed our students' expectations and their communication with the university. And then also just bearing the weight of a lot of that grief that their experience was not what 
they had thought it was going to be. So definitely agree on that. And it's it's Um, really hard too that when you can relate to what their frustrations are, what they're feeling, but you're not allowed to, (laughs) I guess you could say sort of thing. Like when you want to relate, but you know, you have to, you have the institutional messaging and you know, you need to follow that script and you know, you need to do that, but you want to really be like, I'm with you. Like, I completely agree. This freaking sucks. (laughs) And it's really hard to be there and to, to do that. It's yeah. I think I talked about this on my last episode with Liz, but I remember sitting on my porch. It was March of 2020, late March. We had just decided that we were not going to hold commencement in May. And I was about to send out that email and I just cried because I was so upset that like our students weren't going to have this, but I, as the institutional accounts couldn't express any emotion. And I was so connected with these specific students because they were my first incoming class of first year students. And I saw like to see them go through their four years and oh my gosh, I was a wreck, but online we have to be, we have to be strong and put together. But yeah, I don't think it's talked about enough of just the weight of stuff that we carry offline that we have to shield from the internet. And one of the things that I love about the higher ed social Facebook group is that that's a place where people will come and just say like, I'm having a rough day. Like this is what we're going through and they'll find encouragement or help or whatever they need. But that's a place where it's, it's on the internet, but it's off the main accounts. So it's, it's like a secret. Yeah. It's not just a space for professional development. It's a mental health support system. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's a safe spot for higher ed. And I think one of the things I love about our industry is that people really hold that community over competition mindset. Like if you ask a question in the higher group, like people are going to give you answers, give you tips, give you documents, give you whatever, whatever you need. We're not the admissions offices that have to kind of not fight for students, but like compete for students. That's the better, best word for that. We're not competing to like sell our university in that group. Like we're not trying to out one up each other, but I, I love that it's a place where you can, find, if, especially if you're a team of one or a small team that you can find people that are in the same boat with empathy and compassion. So if our followers are not in the higher ed social group, we'll have it linked in the show notes, but it is the most incredible Facebook community for people who work in this field. So let's move on to our next question. Do you manage a student team at your university? I have worked with a ton of students in my time at my school. I currently have two students that I work with who are absolutely amazing. And I, Two students I work directly with and then a bunch of other students that I that I work with indirectly, if you will. That's so cool. Do you have any tips or tricks for like maybe things that your students do that are helpful for you as an office? Yeah. So one of the things for me is that I always try to remember we're at a higher educational institution. If we're working with students, that's part of their learning experience. So it's not only about what they can do for us, but what learning experience can we provide for them? 
So I think the biggest thing when you're working with students is to have those conversations and understand kind of what the expectations are from both sides. Understand what it is, helping them understand what it is you need from them, but also understanding from them what they want to get out of the experience and what they're hoping to learn or what they need help with or what they need advice on. And really having that open communication and remembering that it's a learning experience too. So giving them the room to try things, to experiment. Yeah, make sure they understand brand and the, the, the voice of your institution and things like that. But give them the room to experiment and to fail and to try different things. If you can find those opportunities, it's amazing what they can come up with. So the biggest thing for me is with your students, make sure you're not just giving them orders. You're not just telling them what to do. They are part of your team. Communicate with them. Ask them for ideas. Students are the best resource if you're managing social media in a higher education institution because they know what they're looking for. They know what their classmates are looking for. They provide amazing insights. And also, they grew up with social media in their hand from like day one. So they understand every new platform, what, what voice to have, what type of content to create. Like they just, they get it. So yes, we are the professionals, but we still have a lot of room to learn from our students as well. So give them the room to be the expert, to teach you um, and, and leverage all that they can do. I cannot talk about how important that is enough. I think that students were selling the student experience and like, yeah, we're selling education too, but a lot of students have options for their education. And so this on-campus experience is really what makes each university different. And so utilizing your greatest asset, your students to tell that story in the most authentic way possible is so important. And they are on the ground, I think. So when I started my work at the university, my first university that I worked at, I was still a student at the time, but was running the main accounts. And so it was very interesting time there. A lot of staff changes and department changes and stuff like that. So somehow I was given the keys and it was one of the greatest experiences of my life, but I moved to the residence hall. I was commuting from my parents' house, but it was like a 45 minute drive. And so I ended up moving onto campus. And so that first like year and a half that I worked and was running social, like I was living in the day-to-day of campus. And I, when I moved to my apartment, I remember thinking I just lost my massive like asset of having that in dorm, in campus, 24 seven experience. And so I recruited a team of students and I was like, okay, I, I just lost this entire perspective. I I need that back. (laughs) So yeah, if people don't have a student team, tap into one, find some of your students. I always fought admissions because admissions always had the best. They found the best students because they needed students for um, tours and like they train them so well. And so sometimes I would be like, do you have any students that like maybe want a few extra hours a week? Because I knew that they had always like found the best. And we were also a very small college. So like when we're talking about admissions, having like 40, 50 students on their team and yeah, they did have a lot because they did, they did all the tours, all the, there had a few admissions counselors, but like way more students. Um, then 
our school only had like 400 residential students to begin with. So <laughs> they had a massive chunk of them over in the admissions office. So yeah, we loved bringing students into the office and just, it also remembered, it helped us to connect with who we were dealing with on a daily basis. So big, big advocate for student workers and finding different ways to include them in your office, but also in your content and then getting their perspective. So we're going to go back to some comments talking about managing social from a university perspective. Do you have any like funniest or most memorable like comments or interactions that you've received on post? So if you come across me on social, my handle often involves the word sassy. So I think my most memorable comment, one day we had a student, it was kind of in that weird time between summer and fall. And if you're like my school, like they turn off the AC at some point because it's like nice enough outside, but it's not cold enough for heat. Like we were in that period, but apparently some of the classrooms were getting like super warm and students were complaining. So I thought, okay, let's explain. They're like, can you turn up the AC? So I tried to like be really nice and explain that, hey, we're actually at this point, the heat's not on yet. They told us to turn down the heat. I said, actually, the heat's not on yet. We're at the point where this happens. And I explained the process. And they told me to turn down the sash and turn up the AC. <laughs> and I was like, I legit was not being sassy this time. There are times when I've certainly wanted to be, but I wasn't this time. <laughs> And I totally got a call out for it. So that is probably my most memorable because anytime someone's like, come up with an alliteration for your name, everyone like, I'm a Sarah. So I was like, super and whatever. And I was always like, sassy, I'm sassy. That's what I am. So it was hilarious that they said that. So that is probably my most memorable thing. I will never forget because then I felt I really owned my, my, my nickname. That's hilarious. I love that. Student clapbacks are some of the funniest things I have read. I love them. I love the creativity. Sometimes I'm like, ooh, I definitely just got roasted, but like props to you for like pulling that off so well. Yeah. Um, or so on brand. I'm like, I can't be mad. Like that was that was too good. Like you just how? It's like, okay, I have um, to give you this one. I'm sorry. Yeah. So as a university in Canada, I am interested to know, like, are there certain trends that you see on U.S. accounts that like you can't pull off on Canadian accounts or are there Canadian trends that you can or can't do for your accounts? We're not diving deep into like school specific, but just like perspective on trends. Well, one of the things that I can't get into. So like football is huge in the States, right? I am at a Canadian college and we don't have football. Like that is just not a thing. And actually as a whole, like varsity athletics isn't as like huge as it is at American schools or even Canadian universities. Like varsity is huge and it just doesn't, doesn't get the, the hype that it does elsewhere for us. Hey, all Zach here from Enrollify. If you like this podcast, chances are you'll like other Enrollify shows too. 
Our podcast network is growing by the month, and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. Our shows feature a selection of the industry's best as your hosts. Learn from Mickey Baines, Jeremy Tears, Jamie Hunt, Corinne Myers, Jamie Gleason, and many, many more. You can learn more about the Enrollify Podcast Network at podcasts.enrollify.org. Our shows help higher ed marketers and admissions professionals find their next big idea. Find yours at podcasts.enrollify.org. Both schools that I worked at did not have football teams. So I, I often forget that that is a very large part of bigger universities. I mean, the school down the street from where I live has a massive football per- program and that like takes over our town during the fall. Like everything is based off of their football season. And so that is one of the things about smaller universities is like, we don't have that influence, but I wonder sometimes like there's pros and cons with having massive football or athletics in general and how that, it gives you content for your main accounts, but it also like is almost a full separate entity from main social. Well, and one thing that we are able to do that a lot of U.S. schools aren't able to more, we still have TikTok. That's still part of our, that's still part of our repertoire. So that's one thing that we can do that some of you down south can't. (laughs) Yeah, there's, I, oh, TikTok. I am pretty sure most followers know how much I love TikTok. I think our listeners also know that I work for Zimi, which is a social media app for high schoolers going to college to create community. And so I get to, I get to log into the Zimi account. And my favorite thing to do is to go through and type in like, acceptance letters um, and look at those hashtags and comment on students' videos and not like selling the platform, just like congratulations on getting into that school. Cause like we work with so many different schools and there's just sheer joy and that kind of like UGC content. We don't necessarily get, we definitely don't get it on Facebook. We sometimes get it on Instagram, but TikTok's where it's living right now. And so that used to be my favorite thing about Twitter. When I started in 2015, like February 1st is our, our day like that or was our day. That was the day that offers typically started to go out for a lot of our programs. And like Twitter used to like blow up. We had like hundreds of mentions, just insane. And it was such good engagement. It was like in my calendar. Okay. Feb 1st, we got to do these messages and we got to do this and we got to read and we got to be prepared for this. And like, I blocked my calendar for everything. And I haven't been able to replicate that since like 2018 on any other platform. It's interesting to see like what, like the ebb and flow of social, like what takes off and what doesn't. Which leads into another question is like, what is your favorite platform at the moment, both personally and professionally? Personally and professionally, I'm going to say personally, it's probably Reddit. And professionally, it may actually be Reddit. Like I, I like Reddit. Ooh, I don't do enough on Reddit. I wish I did. I need to like dig into that more. So when you're thinking social, like what place do I still enjoy being in? What place do I still like being in? And there's some unique opportunities on Reddit. I enjoy it. And I probably shouldn't be saying this out loud because it's kind of like our secret weapon because most of higher ed isn't there yet. That is also true. There's so much. I think one of the things about higher ed and, and Reddit 
specifically is I know that one of our team members, as he like has alerts mentioned or like alerts for different things on Reddit. And also he'll go into like the application, like college application Reddits and answer questions for students or give them resources. And he's again, not selling our platform at all. He is literally just being a higher ed resource and like steering people to where they need because so many questions get asked on Reddit. So many. And like we, we own our, our sub and we have a brand account on Reddit. Um, But there is a general one for our region that people go in and ask questions and they ask questions all the time about this school versus that school, or what do I need to know about this, the application process, or what do I need to know about this process or that process? And I'm in there, I'm answering anything. Cause I'm like, worst comes to worse. I'm like, I'm trying to be helpful, but Hey, if somebody sees me being helpful and goes, oh, I like the way that school's supporting people. Hey, happy coincidence. <laughs> I love that. That might be one of like the slept on hidden gems that higher ed doesn't, doesn't find often and utilize enough. I I recently got asked uh, by someone who does Reddit really well. I was like us. No, but who does Reddit really well? Us. But who's the leader? Us. (laughs) And oh, we've, it's been part of our strategy for probably four or five years now. Interesting. I wonder how many people are going to take that and now go and start checking Reddit now. That'd be interesting. Have you gotten on threads yet? Oh yeah. We may have had like the best starting thread ever. Yeah. We actually, a few years ago, one of our design looks was we threaded our logo. Like, have you ever seen thread art with the nails and the yarn and that? Yeah. We created our logo out of that. That's amazing. So I said, hey, we've been ready for threads for years and posted a picture. That's incredible. I, oh my gosh, man. Like, how do you top that? <laughs> it, it was perfect. It was the perfect thing. And and it's funny, like it, I have a friend at another institution and she's waiting for a meeting um, to see if they're going to use threads. And like day one, I was on there and I was like, tell my SMRs, I'm like, you have an Instagram account, go claim your handle. Like, make sure you have it. Like we don't post anything yet. That's cool. But get your handle sort of thing. Like, and that was day one. And I love that I'm able to do that. Now I'm trying to figure out how we use it, but that's a slow process. Yeah, I think it's interesting right now because I was trying to explain threads to somebody the other day. And my best explanation is like the brands, not necessarily higher ed, I would say like general brands that are on threads right now. It's a mixture of just like unhinged content. Like it almost feels like you gave social media managers a place to go have fun without the like corporate restrictions. And they're just like, I'm thinking about specifically Sonic, which is a drive-in restaurant in the US. Sonic has been like unhinged over there. I saw the airports like doing their little round robin the other day of like checking in, like checking in for flights. And I was cracking up at that. But like, it is one of those where you have a little bit more freedom, kind of like TikTok, but in written form where it's not heavily regulated yet. And like all the early adopters are on there. And so it's, it's interesting to see. I love that you said like not many people are there yet. And I love the fact that our threads account outgrew our TikTok account in 72 hours. 
Cool. I mean, okay, let me rephrase. There are a lot of people there. I think there's what they say, a hundred million people signed up. Like, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Something crazy. But like, I think people signed up and then backed off. Yeah. They're I'm, I'm there one of those people. to see what's happening. I think I'm going to bring this up now, uh, mainly so you and all of our listeners can hold me accountable on this, but I want to do another mascot collab like we did last year, but it was a little chaotic. I was in a little bit of chaos at that time in my personal life and work life. And so it ended up not being as organized as I would have liked. It It was very, a very chaotic process when you bring like 18 schools together from around the world and then trying to get people to submit the right thing. And then keeping track of the 500 different ways people were sending me their content. Pretty sure we left people out of that video by the end. And then there was one school where they, I guess, changed names between the time they submitted it and the time that we posted it. And I'm just like, what? What? (laughs) So is there a way to do it through one of the platforms? It's like the first person posts and then they they stitch in the second person and then the third person. And like, we could just stitch it and like you tag a school to join. Yeah, I think you can. I mean, you could do that on reels. I think you can like remix it and stitch it because I would say TikTok, but I, I guess we could try it on both and see which, like, if you're on, if you're a TikTok school, then, then yeah. But if you, if you're not allowed on TikTok at your university, then you could do Instagram. But I feel like that would be a fun, maybe like passing something like, um, along like the previous one we did, like the boom, boom, swipe, boom, boom, swipe. And so, yeah, doing something where we're at Christmas time, we need to do another one. That's like the passes to Kevin, passes to Kevin, and then passing it back. How funny would that be with like all these different mascots? The other thing I was just thinking, like, could we do it somehow and do it like either kind of like Uno, where you have to pass it to a mascot who's either the same animal or the same color? <sighs> That's so smart. Like something that would like be so that. fun. Because I was just thinking, like, there's a ton of birds. Uh, there's there a ton are. of like horse it like there's a ton of like farm and like there, you yeah. could do that and then there's a whole bunch of like random colors for all these things so you could do colors or that's smart I don't know we'll th- we'll think this through and post it and so we'll see if we can come back into the show notes later and like post a link to this once we make it happen if people are listening to this like six months a year from now <laughs> and we're like I wonder what happened with that idea but now there's two of us on it so we have to make it happen <laughs> It's not just living in my little chaotic brain. We've got accountability with our audience. <laughs> I, I'll get Canada on board. <laughs> you get, I'll get the U.S., you get Canada, we'll unite, done. So we're going to run through our last couple questions um, as we wrap up this episode. It's been so fun. So going to jump back in a little serious again, but what is a moment that you wish you could have pulled back the curtains and let people see behind the screen? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> every time something goes wrong. Yeah. Not just like COVID, but like there's other things that can go wrong. If you're in an institution, there can be faculty issues. There can be staff issues. There can be things on campus that happen. Like every time one of those things happens, and like we get the like visceral gut reaction of students and they don't realize what's happening behind the scenes. Like 
all the people that are involved, what the chain is that we go through, what the thought process is we go through, what we're actually feeling when we're having to communicate these various things, like those moments. Because mm -hmm. I think when we're a brand, it's easy to uh, like go after the brand, but you forget that there's actual people behind there. So like those moments, and it's people yeah. who often care about you and who are feeling the same things that you are and who are struggling the same way you are. Like, I think those moments are the moments where I'd like to be like, Hey, like we get it. We understand. We're people too. It goes back to something we talked about earlier of that. We often feel pretty heavy feelings on this side of the computer screen and people that are on the other side of the accounts usually they vent and they they're hurting or they're upset or they're mad or they're whatever. We always love the excited and the happy moments. Like we'll definitely share in that too. But when we think about those like more negative emotions, like I think a lot of people think that if they get mad at the online accounts, like that administration or people higher up are going to see that, feel that, hear that. And it's not, they're not the ones that are checking the DMS or the comments. Most of the time, they're not seeing any of that. And then I've worked for a couple of different presidents in my time in higher ed that weren't even on social media. And the bizarre and, assumption sometimes that it's the president that's behind that account. Yeah. I'm like, you do realize that is, we are not the same that's person. not happening. Not even close. And I'm not going to take your comments and go take it to them either. Yeah. Like if it's an issue, then yeah, we'll bring it up with the people that we need to yeah, bring it right up people. with. Exactly, but he that's is usually not the not, right person. <laughs> no, it's usually not the president. So yeah. I definitely think that's interesting. What is the most important lesson that you've learned over your career, or like what is something you would give to somebody new to the field? Advocating for yourself and determining your own boundaries. I think that took me a while to learn. And, and to establish, I give a lot of credit, actually, I mentioned before that I met Tony at PSE Web. PSE Web is post-secondary education web and digital conference in Canada for all of Canadian higher ed's digital and web. And I connected with that group not long after I started. And for years, I knew the person who started, she was like, come present at the conference, come present at the conference. And I was like, I don't have anything of value to say. Like, I don't think I'm doing anything that's that's worthwhile, that'd be helpful to anyone. Finally, about five years in, I made it my goal to speak at that conference. And I just, I printed, I'm like, I don't know if this is going to hit. Like, I'm just sharing what I do. I don't know if it's of any value. Like, I assume this is what people are doing and this isn't new or unique. And I presented and the reaction blew me away. Like, people were like, oh my goodness, this is such a good idea. Why aren't we doing this? And like, the comments were unreal. And it took that moment with my peers in higher ed, giving me that feedback that I realized, wait, no, I'm really freaking good at what I do. And I need to, like, I'm not failing when I need help. I need to go, nope, I'm good at what I do. I've done this. I need more help. I need more support. I need, and like that, that whole advocating for yourself and asking for help and pushing in the right way for what's needed. And it's, I think that piece, I think in social media, we all, a lot of us have the, we all have the kind of imposter syndrome 
like social media is still fairly new and it's like well we didn't go to school for it like we're just kind of making it up as we go along that's what we feel like but we're not we were the first generation we started social we were the ones that were first there when facebook became a thing like we were the ones the original ones there we grew up with social we didn't we weren't born into it we grew up with it and we undervalue that experience a lot of the time so that lived experience and i think even the students coming up now who are in their 20s yeah they were born into social but like most of their social experience has been learned outside of academics and how often do we only give value to the things that we learn in a classroom so it's that piece of having confidence in what we know and valuing our learned things both in the classroom and outside of it and having confidence in that and being willing to advocate for that and say no I do know what I'm talking about I do know what I need so that piece, I think, is the important thing that for me, when I'm training or working with students, it's I want an open communication environment. I want you to communicate what you need, what you need from me, what you need for yourself, that piece, and to be willing to giving them a safe space to learn how to have those uncomfortable or hard conversations. Because we often just go, oh, I shouldn't do that. That makes me look weak or it makes me look whatever. But figuring out how to have those conversations and that it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to advocate for yourself. It's okay to be confident in what you do. Those things, because I think that's that's the struggle a lot of us in social media face. It's that imposter syndrome that we don't really know what we're doing. I think you hit the nail on the head when you talked about how we most of us didn't go to school for anything social media related. Sometimes it's marketing. Sometimes it's communications. I mean, I have a degree in early childhood and a degree in social work. Like it's not, that definitely wasn't my path, but I, I think if you ask me what I've struggled with working in social media the most, it's always been imposter syndrome. And I think we all work at different size schools. We work at different size with different size teams like a a team that has five or six people on it or a dedicated graphics person or a dedicated video photo person uh, versus someone who's trying to manage it all. Like those are very much different expectations, but our school leadership usually doesn't recognize like how many different variables there are in there Um, and how much that we're asking. I'm going to go specifically with like team of one people, um, how much we're asking them to do. We're asking them to do social listening, content creation, writing, photo, video, stay on top of the trends across eight different platforms, et cetera. So like the fact that we're functioning and like doing our jobs at all, a lot of times is proof that like we are making it. And that when you see other schools that look a little bit more put together or people that seem like they have it all together, the reality is, and I'm pretty sure if we pulled a group of the higher ed, like people that work in higher ed social, almost every single one of them would say they have imposter syndrome in some form or like capacity because it, I, I feel that way consistently. Think too about the way people talk about social, often the term just social, it's just social. 
Like we're often minimized in what our contributions are to a team or to an environment as just social or, oh, she just plays on Facebook all day. Or like those types of things, like those types of things get said to us all the time that undermine what we do. And how do you not have imposter syndrome when that's the language that is inherent to our work in a lot of ways? How do we get beyond that? Part of how we get beyond that is groups like Higher Ed Social and PSE Web, where we talk and support each other and go, no, legit, like you're doing it. Like what you're doing is really great. And building that community of support and empowerment because we are still facing those words in the community around us. Well, I think it's also important to note that like, we are also working with academics who are usually the top in their fields. Like they have terminal degrees, like they have everything that they can get in their, in their field. So if you're working with like a chemist or someone who is, has their PhD in like British literature from a very specific time period, like they have studied this for so long and they've got the credentials. Like sometimes I think they won't admit it, but like a lot of academics downplay social because yeah, there's not degrees that we've spent years pursuing a piece of paper in a classroom, but we have spent years with lived experience in fighting a whole different battle than they are. We may not be writing papers, but we are fighting the comments and trying to stay like what I always joke when classes tell me, or I'm teaching a social media class at the university that I used to work at. And they're like, okay, what books do you want? And I'm like, no, 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 no. We no, 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 no. Anything that's printed. Great ideas. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, because pretty much if the book is written, it's going to be outdated by the time it's printed. Yeah. The other thing, when you're, when you're talking about the chemist or the British literature or whatever, part of that's about access. To learn those things at that level, it is a select few who have the money, the intelligence, the whatever. It's an elite or smaller group. Social media is more of a grassroots, accessible piece that everyone has access to. And as soon as everyone has has access to it, it's normal. It's part of culture. It's not part of the upper echelon or whatever it's for the masses which in a lot of cases is for the lower class if you will and it's that that aspect of it so everyone's like well I can do that I have a Facebook page I can do that and it's that piece that challenges what we do too because it is accessible to everyone Yeah, absolutely. And I don't like looking back over social media. I don't think building community has changed a lot over the years. I think there are always going to be those fundamental foundational pieces that go towards building an online community. Yeah. Where the community lives may change. Yes. But building community itself doesn't. Exactly. It may be on a different platform. It may look a little bit different on TikTok than it maybe does in a Facebook group or on threads or LinkedIn or whatever, whatever platform, but (laughs) whatever comes next. Yeah. Whatever, whatever exists, but still the foundations of community and people, that's what people are craving. Our world may be going 
like is become fully digital, but people still need other people and need community. And so that's one of those like super important parts of our job is that not only are we pushing out information on behalf of our schools, we're also building that online community so that once they're off campus and they've graduated, they still have a place to come back to online, even if they're hundreds of miles away. So that old thing that I say all the time, social media is inherently social. If you lose that social aspect and you don't build the communities and support the communities and engage with people, yes, it's not social media. It's just another billboard. Nice. Well, let's, let's wrap up with our final question. My favorite one to ask on the podcast. What is your confession? What is something you've done as a social media manager that someone probably wouldn't expect? So the thing that most shocks most people is that my personal social media is a complete disaster. Like my social media has died a death, my own social. Like that's probably the biggest thing. When you manage social media for a brand, by the end of the day, you're like, I don't want to touch it. Mm. (laughs) And like my Twitter comes alive for one week in July every year for the PSE web conference, or when I have an issue with a brand and I need to yell at them. That's about when my Twitter accounts are active. My personal Instagram, if there are two posts on my Instagram account each year, it's a miracle. My Facebook page, more scrolling than posting. LinkedIn has probably actually been the most active as I update like micro credentials and things I've taken. (laughs) But yeah, no, my... I spend a ton of time on social, but I don't post a lot. And it's it's so funny. We we were at a conference last week and the people I were with, they were like tweeting all the time and they were posting. And I was like, I forgot to take a picture of that. I forgot to do like, when I turn off work social, it's just like, that leaves me. It's gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, I concur. I also, my personal social is a disaster. Not TikTok. That one is... That one, that one's thriving because that one's where all my small business energy goes. But like, yeah, trying to manage my own personal accounts at this point, like it's so minimal because I'm, I spend so much time doing other things that it's not for lack of being on social. It's just lack of having like the time or energy to figure out what I want to post. And so if I post every like, couple weeks on my Facebook as like a life update. Yeah. Just for like all of my mom's friends. Yeah. I'm still (laughs) alive. I still exist. Like I'm still kicking away. But like if you want to find me, you're going to find me over on TikTok, probably TikTok live, packing orders or building new creations or whatever. And then I've had the added spin of that in addition to all the meta apps and TikTok and LinkedIn and all that. I'm also throwing in Zimi. And so I'm actually so, as someone, like the app, the Zimi app is meant for high school students going into college. And so the amount of time I spend in other colleges, group chats on Zimi, just seeing what students are talking about is fasc- like, it's fascinating me. Like when you put a bunch of students in a group chat and to see what they say the other day, I might've posted this on social talking about it, but there was a random Miley Cyrus song, like thread in one of the college group chats 
where they literally just like line by line started like typing slash singing the Smiley Cyrus song. And I was just like, what is happening? Like, how did this come to be? Like, it was such a fun, like, it just, it takes me back to like OG Twitter in a way slash like Facebook group, but modernized. It, and so It sounds like our Discord. Oh yeah, very much <laughs> probably. Yeah. Do y'all use that as Discord for your We university? do. Yeah. And I think from a prof- my confession from a, uh, that people will be surprised about is what socials we use and put effort behind. Cause like everyone's got the big four, if you will, the Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. But like I said, we have a strategy for Reddit. We have a strategy for discord. We have a strategy for Spotify. Like we leverage some of the kind of fringe platforms as part of our strategy. Um, which I think surprises a lot of people when all of a sudden I'm like, oh yeah, we do this. And they're like, wait, what, what are you doing there? Oh, oh my goodness. We have one of the largest Giphy libraries and some of the most used gifts on Giphy. Like every time, like breaking news, have you seen the red breaking news banner? Yeah. That's yours. That's ours. Yeah. Um, are y'all pulling a, a university of Florida? Because UF also um, made some of the most like generic gifts. They kill it at their little gator gifts, but like the sunshine, the prominent sunshine gifts is the University of Florida's. We have some generic ones. Like we we have a lot of branded ones, but we also have like generic ones of like a head exploding, which is great for students when they're studying. We have like sports equipment. So when people are playing sports, like that's in there. We have, because we we have a, a school of dental hygiene, we have like toothbrushes and teeth and like things like that. We have headphones because we are what can, known as Canada's top music school. So we have a headphones and a microphone. We have like so many different things that are in there even like we have like download buttons or like arrows or things like that that people use commonly it, it was funny actually that there is a professional sports team who has a very similar name to us um they've used some of our gifts sometimes too i love that i love that so much okay so the question is how many how many gift views do you have uh 2.8 billion we have 781 gif uploads and 2.8 billion views yeah dang that's billion oh my gosh okay so one of the schools that i used to work at this is just if you're listening and you've thought about getting on giphy like do it it's they're not terribly hard to make and they're so fun but i we have 16 gifts uploaded and it has 6.2 million views. And so that's over the last two years. It's actually probably just hitting that two year mark. And so it's for a school that has like less than a thousand students yeah, to have 6.2 million, which is nowhere near your two something billion. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> well, it was, it was funny when, when I started asking for these, I was like, we need these. And I have a, a team that I work with, a creative team that I work with. 
And I do not have the skills to make gifts myself yet. And I was like, I need these. And I'm like, well, that's not really, they didn't quite understand. And then I showed them what I was looking for. They're like, oh, we can do that. So I now have a spreadsheet, like a shared spreadsheet with them. And anytime I come up with new ideas, I put that in there. And when they have time, they create more for me. And like I said, we're up to 781 gifts. Oh, I love that so much. We are at our time. And so Sarah, I just want to say thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today and for talking all the fun social media stuff. I think this is the first podcast we've talked about like Reddit and Discord and Giphy and stuff. So I love that we ended on that note and that we talked about imposter syndrome. I feel like that's so important as well to let others know that we're not, you're not alone in feeling that because that is unfortunately a very prominent feeling in higher ed, higher ed social, let me rephrase. (laughs) It's something that I feel like a lot of people don't talk about, but that a lot of people feel. And so if you're out there and you're feeling that level of imposter syndrome, know that you're not alone and that um, there's an entire community here to support you and that you're killing it. You're doing your job. You're doing great. You're representing your school and just keep moving forward. So thank you, Sarah, so much for joining. And thank you to our audience for listening. And I hope you all have a great day. Thanks so much for having me. Hey all Zach here from Enrollify. If you like this podcast, chances are you'll like other Enrollify shows too. Our podcast network is growing by the month and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. Our shows feature a selection of the industry's best as your hosts. Learn from Mickey Baines, Jeremy Tears, Jamie Hunt, Corinne Myers, Jamie Gleason, and many, many more. You can learn more about the Enrollify Podcast Network at podcasts.enrollify.org. Our shows help higher ed marketers and admissions professionals find their next big idea. Find yours at podcasts.enrollify.org.